Good morning. Welcome to Redemption Church, and uh, thanks for joining us this morning on what's 4th of July weekend, I suppose. Um, Before we jump in, why don't we just pray together? Our Father, uh, thank you for this this morning, thank you for this day, thank you for uh, gathering us together to hear the gospel and to see Jesus. I pray, Father, that this morning that you would cause, that your Holy Spirit would cause our souls to see Jesus, that we would uh, be able to comprehend what is the height, the depth, and the width of the love that you have for us through him. I pray, Lord, that you would cause our souls to praise you with all of creation and praise you into all of creation. I pray that you would help us to glorify you together here, but also as we go, that we would be sent glorifying you and lifting up the name of Christ and making, making known the fame of your name, Father. And we pray that uh, this morning would just cause us to hear and know the gospel and repent and respond to your good news. I pray, Father, that as I speak, you will say what you would have said, that it would be your words and not my own. I pray, Lord, that for each one of our ears that you would have us hear what you have for us. We trust you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're in Psalm 127. I'm just going to go ahead and read through uh, this passage. It's, it's uh, about five verses, Psalm 127. It's in the Psalms of Ascents, which we've been going through throughout the summer. Psalm 127. It's a song of ascents of Solomon, and it says this. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. As many of you might know, our family uh, just returned from a road trip that was two weeks long. We went from Georgia uh, all the way to San Diego and back, and we didn't make it straight. We went around as many ways as we could, made it lengthy. We traveled 5,525 miles exactly, which is pretty neat. And along the way, we stopped in several cities. Uh, We stayed with some family. We stayed with my grandma in Phoenix for several nights. uh, And we stayed in some hotels, which is the first time our kids stayed in hotels, and they loved that. We had a real blast. We had a great time. I can't get this thing to come up, so it's just going to stay there. But we had a great time. We had a blast. It was, it was, uh, we made memories that are going to last a lifetime. It was so incredible. But the most amazing thing about our trip, I think, was as before we go, everybody's like, hey, you have three kids. If you don't know, I have three kids, four and under. And so people are like, hey, three kids, four and under, that's crazy. You're crazy. And I'm like, yeah, I'm probably crazy. Uh, But we're going to just do it anyways because, well, one, I don't really like to fly. Uh, Driving saves time and money. And plus, I did a lot of these driving trips when I was a kid, so I just kind of wanted to do it with my kids. But I did, I was mindful in my planning that I had three kids, four and under. And so I tried to break it up, you know. We went to Shreveport one day, and I was like nine 
or 10 hours on the road with some breaks. Then the day after that, we kind of just, we broke it up. We went almost to Dallas, and we went down to Waco. We went to the Magnolia Farms, whatever it's called, with the Fixer Upper and the Joanna and Gaines thing. Anyways, so we went there, and then we went to Austin, and we decided to stay in Austin for two nights. That way we could break up this really long road trip. We're going to give the a whole day in Austin so our kids don't have to be in the car again, right? And anyways, the next morning we wake up. I'm like, hey, kids, we don't have to go in the car this morning. We're going to just hang out in Austin and have some fun. And they're like, but, Dad, we want to go on our road trip. We were wanting to drive. <laughs> it was insane. I, I, <laughs> okay, I broke it up for you, but you want to be in the car. Anyways, that's not the point. I just thought I'd tell you that story. But anyways... When we arrived in Austin, Texas, we stayed at a hotel that had a parking garage. We went up to like the fifth story of this parking garage. I start getting out all our bags, you know, our suitcases and our bags. And my little boy, he's three years old. His name is Jack, if you don't know him. And he just wanted to help. He saw me do it the night before. He's seen me do this many times. He wanted to help. So he grabs one of the suitcases. It's got the handle lifted out, you know, and he's like, I'm going to help. And he doesn't even say anything. I'm going to help. And he gets it and he leans it back. It's way too heavy for him. Right? The thing is like leaned almost all the way down to the ground and he's doing this, you know, all the way into the hotel, down the elevator, to the check-in uh, stand, back to the elevator, back up to the sixth floor. He wanted to do it himself. He wanted to help. And eventually he did it. Slowly but surely he got us there. He pulled the suitcase all by himself. He got hung up on the elevator. He got hung up on a couple corners. I tried to help him. He really didn't want me to help. He wanted to show me that he could do it. But it was one of those moments when, I, when the time just slowed. Out of all the great things we did on, a, on the trip, this is one of the moments that just slowed down for me. Is time just kind of came to a stop, and I knew that it was something I was going to remember because my son was doing a couple things. He wanted to do what I was doing. He wanted to help me. He wanted to prove that he could do it. And he wanted to do it on his own. And it's natural, right, for kids to become more independent as they get older. I know that. We know that. But it's also a little bittersweet as a parent. I would kind of like it if it would just depend on me forever and I would just do everything. Not really, but there's, it's bittersweet. But what was so great about that moment, what makes it stick out, is that I could see that Jack wanted to move the suitcase independently But truthfully, he was most confident and most happy in helping me and doing the work because I was there with him, and I was working alongside him, and he was working alongside me. It was evident in his attitude. See, Psalms, Psalm 127, it highlights, it's, it's, it highlights our more grown-up tendency towards an attitude of independence from God. We have a grown-up attitude, a grown-up tendency to have an attitude of independence from God as we do our work and we build our families and we seek to find our own security and we make our own legacies. But what this song in Psalm 127 does is it calls our hearts to remember that true security and work that has lasting impact and truly strong families and so on are built by God as we operate from an attitude of dependence on God. Not independence from God, but when we work from an attitude of dependence on God, as we find our joy and our motivation in being with him and working alongside him, sort of like Jack helping me with that suitcase. So we have two options. 
an attitude of independence from God or of dependence on God. An attitude of independence from God or of dependence on God. And what we need to hear, what I think, what I know that we need to hear, what I need to continually hear, what we need to hear this morning, why we need to sing this song like the pilgrims that were on their journey needed to sing this song, what we need to hear for our own good is that the blessed life flows from an attitude of dependence on God. The blessed life flows from an attitude of dependence on God. I said this several weeks ago, but song, songs, song, as Beth Moore says, is the language of the soul. And this song is meant to engage with our soul and engage our hearts and speak truth to our souls so that our mind can think rightly and so that our bodies can act rightly and from a right heart attitude. So Psalm 127, this song reminds us what the reward of both attitudes are. What's the reward of an attitude of independence from God? And what's the reward of an attitude of dependence on God? So we'll start, let's take a look at Psalm 127, beginning in 1 and 2. I'll read it again. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Like I said, this is about the grown-up, a sort of grown-up tendency that we have toward an attitude of independence from God as we do our work. Even our work or our efforts in worshiping God We would even try to, this is true, we will even try to worship God independently from God. It makes no sense, but think about it. Think about this particular psalm, this particular song that we're reading. This is a song of those who are on the journey up to Jerusalem to worship God in Jerusalem. We've said this before. These psalms of ascents are likely a set of songs sung by the pilgrims going up to Jerusalem to worship God. And as they go, they sing this song as a reminder, them, reminder them to themselves that unless the Lord builds the house, the labor is in vain. Unless the Lord watches, the watchman stays awake in vain. So they sing this to remind themselves that their efforts in the journey buy them nothing. Their work, everything that they brought with them, all the struggles they had to get there, all the troubles along the road that they encountered, it buys them nothing. Their effort buys them nothing. Their efforts don't purchase a blessing. That's not how this works. The blessing that they're going to receive or that they receive is in the invitation to worship God. It's a blessing that they've been invited in to worship God. It's a blessing just to be with Him. See, our efforts... We have to hear this. Our efforts are not the point. Our efforts don't equal security, and our efforts don't buy the blessed life. Our efforts don't buy a blessing. Our efforts don't buy us the blessed life. We may build something, but we have to ask, as one commentator wrote, it says, the house and city may survive that we build. The house and city may survive, but were they worth building? Throughout these psalms, I'm, as we go through some, these songs of ascents, I mean, I'm reminded of the call to trust God 
It's just all through it. It's a call to trust God and trust God alone and trust him over trusting yourself because you cannot be trusted and I cannot be trusted. Only God can be trusted. So as we go through this, I'm just continually reminded of this call to trust God in everything, even over myself, to increasingly, to increasingly submit all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. It's really what it's, it is really all about who you trust. It's really all about who I trust and who I trust most and who you trust most. If we're honest with ourselves, do we trust God or do we trust ourselves? And how is that evident in our life? Do we really believe he's good and that he provides? I think that's a good question. Do we really believe that God is good and do we really believe that he provides? Do we really trust that he will bless us? I think that's a good question too. Do we really trust that he's going to bless us? I think it's more complicated. I think it gets a little more twisted. I think maybe even a better question is that maybe we need to ask whether we even believe that his definition of a blessing is better than our own definition of blessing. Is God's definition of blessing better than your own definition of blessing? Is his definition of good better than your own definition of what's good for you? Maybe we believe that he'll provide a blessing and we kind of get the Bible and we know that his blessing is really just making us more like him and making us more like Christ. But when we're really honest with ourselves, that's not the blessing that we want. Is that a possibility? We have a different definition of blessing. We know that he'll do the one thing, but that's not really the thing that we want. We don't really want to be more like him. What we really want is something else. We want health. We want wealth. We want safety. We want worldly prosperity. We want prestige. We want the best family. We want a life that others might envy. I was listening to the new Propaganda album. I don't know if anybody's on that, but... uh. In one of his songs, he says, you're a masterpiece. You're a masterpiece trying to be a silly selfie. I know that's very hip, right? But you're a masterpiece trying to be a selfie, right? You're trying to make what's actually good. You're, you're, you're a masterpiece and you're trying to be a selfie. You, you're changing up the definition of what's actually great and what's actually good. And you think it's better. We think it's better. I think what I want is better. I think the blessing of health and wealth and safety, prosperity, prestige, my best family, me being envied by you is better than anything God really wants is going to give to me, which would be to look more like him, which would reject, reject almost all of that. In the end, you can likely put in some anxious toil and some lack of sleep, as Solomon refers to. I think you can end up with some of these things. You can have some health, you might have some wealth, you might be safe, you might make it to the end, but it's the end. You die. In the end, we all die, and what, what's going to be left of the thing that we built? A selfie? I'm not knocking on selfies, I'm just, I'm sorry, if you love selfies, we'll talk about it later. Was it worth building? Was it worth building, Really? Is there something that you can build? Is there something that I can build? Is there something that you or I are trying to build independently from God, from an attitude independent from 
God? Are we trying to build something that will last and be greater than his work? God has a better gift for us. That's what this song is about. God has a better gift for us than we have for ourselves. And what Solomon, wise King Solomon, who learned a whole lot by experience, knows that we need to hear, knows that he needed to hear, he knows that the the reader needs to hear, and we know that we need to hear it now for our own good, is that the blessed life flows from an attitude of dependence on God. I'm going to keep saying it. The blessed life flows from an attitude of dependence on God, and there's nothing worth building independently from God. It won't last. You remember Genesis 11 and the story of the Tower of Babel? I'm going to read a little, a little bit of that story. It's Genesis 11, uh, 1 through 9. First book in the Bible, 11 chapters in, verse 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top into the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they'll do. And nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off the building. They left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from, from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. We could do a whole sermon on that, but we're just going to look at a couple things. Why did God mess up man's plan to build Babel? What did they get wrong in their work? And what is it that we get so twisted up about when we start working? What is work? Why does it get us so twisted. See, at Babel, it was because of the attitude behind the work. It was the attitude behind the work. They said, let us build ourselves a city and a tower. You hear the implications of independence in there? And then they go on to say, let us make a name for ourselves. These folks, they're not far removed from the flood events. It's just a chapter or two before. And they quickly begin working to make themselves secure, to make themselves secure and to build a name for themselves. What's work supposed to look like? We can go back in Genesis a little further. What's work supposed to look like? We were created to work. We were created to work. And our work that we were created for was to have dominion over the earth, reflecting the image of God to all of creation and into all of creation. That's what we were made for, was to glorify God in all of creation. But the fall messed up everything, and sin twisted our work so that we would rather toil for ourselves than to work alongside our creator. It's part of the curse, is that we would toil. 
the fall messed us up, it's twisted, we'd rather work for ourselves to build our own name than to work alongside our Father and Creator who made us for a purpose. We don't want to work for our purpose. We weren't created to make a name for ourselves. We were created to worship the name of God and to glorify Him. And no matter how hard we try, we cannot make something better for ourselves than what God invites us into and what God created us for, which is back, which is what he's done for us and the work that he does is inviting us back into a restored relationship with him in which we can live from and in and for our created purpose, which is to glorify him, which is where we'll be most satisfied because that's what we were made to do. And so Psalm 127 it talks about the Lord building the house and the work being in vain if it's not his work. Psalm 127 is a reminder to those who journeyed towards Jerusalem and to us as we travel the road of discipleship today that the truly blessed life flows from an attitude of dependence on God. The truly blessed life flows from an attitude of dependence on God and that there's nothing worth building independently from God. And then Solomon moves on in verse 3 and begins to talk about the blessing of children. And he uses this as an example. And I just want to make a note before we jump into this because I think this could be tough to read for some. And it's even as I know for certain that it's been used hurtfully, it's been used wrong, maybe intentionally or unintentionally by some. So a side note is that I just, just listen. If you can't have children, if you don't have children and you want children, I just want you to hear, this is not a song that sings about your sin and your due punishment. That's not what this is about. This is not a song that says you're sinful and so you can't have kids or you don't have kids because of your sin and this is your due punishment. That's not what this song is about. And if you can have kids or if you have children, you also need to hear, this is not a song that sings your praise and and remarks on your worthiness. It's not singing about you. It's not singing about your worthiness and how God's rewarded you for being so great. What the song is singing about is an example. It's a proof of what has just been said in the first two verses. If the Lord doesn't build the house, the work is in vain. And here we are told that children are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Just think about it. What does anybody do work-wise to create a child? It could, be hardly, it could hardly be called work. And it could be hardly, it could hardly be said that any one of us has created anything when making a baby. You and I have not done any work in making a baby. Whereas the scripture proclaims in Psalm 139, 13 through 14, it's a well-known uh, passage that says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. See, God knit us together. God made you and me. God made us. God made children. He's at work in our making and in our formation. There's no work in our part. It's a heritage from the Lord. It's the work of God. We worship a God who works and is still working. He works. And he makes children. And then Solomon goes on to speak of the reward of children, the blessing that they are, this blessing that comes from the work of God. 
This is like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. What do you do with this language of arrows and the quiver? Let's just say it's not some weird call to build up an army of children so that when somebody knocks on the door, that's not what's going on, right? This is really about a man's faith in God, his attitude of dependence on God and in God's work and how he Bless how he is blessed by the work of God over the work of his own hands. His children are a blessing, but that's the work of God. And he's blessed by the work of God over the work of his own hands. His children will be an evidence to his enemies or those who bring a charge against him that he's a man dependent on God and not out to build a name for himself. I think that one of the points that has to be said here is that nobody can build a name for oneself like God can build. I've personally wrestled with this passage many times. I've wrestled with this passage a lot. Because if this psalm calls us to trust God in our work, to trust God in the building of our families, and that children are a blessing, then I have to ask the question of, why did I not trust him to fill my quiver with arrows when I was young? Why did I not trust him in the first 10 years of my marriage to have children? I always wanted kids. Ever since I was a teenager, I wanted children. Claire wanted children. We started dating when we were teenagers. We talked about having kids. We wanted kids. But I had a lot of baggage. And I wanted the very best for my kids. I knew that I wanted kids, but I wanted the very best for my kids. So I spent a long time thinking I could build something secure by my own definition of what security would look like. I spent a long time thinking and trying to build something secure for them to be born into. And at some point along the way, I even got lost in that. My language changed. It wasn't about building something secure for them. At some point, it stopped being about building something relationally and financially stable for my kids and started being about something else. I remember being asked several times in those first 10 years of marriage, especially after year five, I did some pretty stupid things. And I would say things like, it's not selfish to spend and take the, re- the risks that I want to take if I don't have kids. It's not selfish as long as I don't have kids to do the things I want to do and take the risks I want to take and spend money the way I want to spend money. But once I have kids, it would be selfish to live like that. We got married in 2002. We said we were going to wait for five years because I was 21, and I was a little young. And uh, we thought that would be wise, but soon it became 10. And we still didn't have kids, and I'd been doing all these things. And the time just got away. And I'm so thankful that God woke me up. I'm so thankful that the question, it's actually this passage that woke me up. Because through our three little kids, God has made me and is continuing to make me so much better than I was. And he's making me so much more satisfied in him than I ever was before. All along before that, I was trying to build my own thing, trying to work for security and for my own legacy And my definitions were all twisted up, and I was never satisfied. But through them and with them, 
He's teaching me. He's making me better, and he's making me much more satisfied in him than I ever was. I still struggle with this passage sometimes. For me, it raises the question of how do we operate within his wisdom? How do I operate dependently on him in my family planning? I don't have all the answers, but I keep coming back to what I think is the core of this passage. What's our attitude behind our planning? What's our attitude behind the planning? Are we operating from an attitude of independence from God or of dependence on God? I think these are important questions that we need to ask, no matter what stage you're in. And it's not just about kids. It's about how we trust God in, in every place, in every area of life. How are you trusting God? What areas are you holding back? What areas are you operating independently from God instead of with an attitude of dependence on God? If you want to talk more about that, I'd love to chat with you, but we've got to move on. But before we get to the end and before we wrap up, I just want to broaden this example that Solomon uses beyond children as we begin to see the good news of this passage and look to Jesus. Think about the blessing of Jesus. Think about the blessing of Jesus, the Son of God, the child of God. What a sharp arrow God has given to us in his Son, and by no effort of our own. What can come to our defense like the blood of Jesus who takes away our sin, whose work reconciles us to the Father, who takes away the curse of the fall? What takes away? Who takes away? What can we build that would reconcile us to one another? That would make this possible? That would make us a family? We don't belong. We're not supposed to be a family anymore. What can we do that makes it happen? Eugene Peterson remarks in his book, which are on the Psalms of Ascents, which is on the Psalms of Ascents. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He says this. He says, it's kind of long, so bear with me. Jesus leads us to understand the psalmist's sons in terms representative of all intimate and personal relationships. Jesus himself did not procreate children. Side note, Jesus himself did not procreate children. If Jesus didn't have children, was it because he wasn't blessed by God? Certainly not. So if you've heard that from this passage, you need to wipe that away. That makes no sense. But Jesus himself did not procreate children. Yet by his love, he made us all sons and daughters. By joining Jesus in the psalm, we learn a way of work that does not acquire things or amass possessions, but responds to God and develops relationships with him and with others. And the character of our work is shaped not by accomplishments or possessions, but in the birth of relationships. Children are God's best gift. We invest our energy in people, Among those around us, we develop sons and daughters, sisters and brothers, even as our Lord did with us. He says, oh, how blessed are you parents with quivers full of children. Just think about that. He has made us all, those who live from dependence on Jesus, he's made us all sons and daughters. He's made us sisters and brothers. He's reconciled us and he's done the work. We have not done the work nothing we can build can do that nothing you can come up with can do that nothing you can work out can do that 
So whether you have children or whether you don't have children, the child of God came. He proved who his father is. He proved that he's good and that he keeps his promises and that he's for you, not against you. And what else? He came to your defense and he made you a child of God. So you also will not be put to shame when the enemy is at the gate. Jesus' blood speaks a better word for you. And what's even more, he made your brothers and sisters. He built a house that we can't build, a church, a family of those who weren't family. So we're going to wrap up, but the question is, what are you working on? What are you building? Are you building church? I got to ask that question a lot. Am I building a church? A family? A legacy? Some other identity? What are you working out? What are you building? Are you living, working, building from an attitude of independence from God or of a dependence on God? What we need to hear this morning for our own good, what we really need to hear and process and and deal with for our own good is that the blessed life flows from an attitude of dependence on God. I saw a tweet from Louis Giglio. He's a pastor in Atlanta. He does passion conferences. He's author. He does everything. You may have heard him. He said, life doesn't fully make sense until life is about the one who gave it to you in the first place. Life doesn't fully make sense until life is about the one who gave it to you in the first place. And I think that's the sentiment here. If our heart is about our name and our fame, if our logic starts with us and from us, it will never make good sense to depend on God in all things. It'll never make sense to operate from an attitude of dependence on God. Our way will always seem better. But truly, as this psalm says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So I encourage you, as we enter into a time of response, to pray this and answer this question and maybe spend some time with it as you go from here, considering what it means to submit, to increasingly submit all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. What's a specific and practical way for you to repent? That means to turn from one thing and to turn to Christ What's a specific and practical way that you can turn away from whatever it is you're building and turn away from whatever idol and turn to Christ from an attitude of independence from God and turn to an attitude of dependence on God and submit to Christ from that attitude of dependence. As we move into a time of response, we're just going to do some, a few things that we do every week. Um, the band will come up and they're going to lead us in a time of worship. This is a time for us to stand and sing together and to worship God together and proclaim Christ together and hear the gospel together. It's also a time for you to reflect and ask these questions. Sit where you are, pray. We'll have some people in the back who can pray with you if you'd like. There's a basket in the back for tithes and offerings where we are trusting God with our finances and worshiping, in, worshiping him and operating from his ways and not our own. So if you are led to do that, you can give there and worship in that way. And then also we take communion. We do this every week. And uh, we come down this center aisle, and we'll take the piece of bread, and we'll dip it in, I believe it's just juice this morning. So 
uh, but you can dip it in juice. And, uh, and in so doing, we're remembering Jesus Christ. We're remembering the good news of Jesus Christ, that he proved that God is who he says he is, that he's done what he said he would do, that he's for us, not against us, and he's the only way to salvation. He's the only way to reconciliation and to operate outside of dependence on him. There's nothing for us there. So we remember the salvation that he's made for us. We take that, we remember it, we proclaim it to one another in our doing that. Remembering that he's the one who's called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. That he's the one who's making us into his people and into his family. We proclaim that to one another. And so if you're a Christian, whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not, we invite you to come and take with us. Uh, If you're not a Christian, we would ask that you not come and take. It's not because we want to embarrass you or to leave you out or exclude you. It's because we're saying that we believe that Jesus Christ is the one and only way to salvation, is the only one and only way to the blessed life, and that his ways are better than ours. And if you don't believe that, then you can't say that. But what we do invite you to do is to please hear what we're saying in our taking. That the best gift, the best blessing is the invitation to worship God and to be at his work alongside him. And you're invited. We ask that you would take him. I'm going to pray for us, and the band's going to come and enter into this time. Father, we thank you again for this day. We thank you for this time together. We thank you that you have made us a people who are not a people. I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you so much for how you just increasingly pull us to know you more and more and to show us the good news of Jesus more and more. I pray, Lord, this morning that you open the eyes of our hearts. Let us into the rooms that we haven't gone into, that we don't even know where we're not submitting to you. But change our hearts, change our souls, engage us so that our minds and our bodies will think rightly and act rightly as we submit to you in all things. Help us to trust you more and more because of who Jesus is and what he's done. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.